are again. Welcome back to episode six of one of the greatest uh, sporting podcasts on the planet, the Tassie Sport Lounge. Here we are. Welcome back to Adam Smith. Hi, mate. How are you? Caitlin Barry. Hello. Oldie. Radio side. Oh, dear. The chair's Aldi. empty. <laughs> well, we do have big news for you today because <laughs> we do have a significant guest on. Uh, it is the Premier. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We have got the Premier, Peter Gutwin, on. And I know Aldi's gone over there. I think he's pr- physically sitting on him to make sure he, he doesn't actually get away from us Well, he's locked down the Premier, which is an extraordinary effort because you have not come through with the goods yet again, Dave. No, I man. know. Sadly, I did promise Ben Brown. Uh I was texting him just to give you a bit of background because, of course, I'm a D's fan and I love Benny Brown. He's gone over to the D's and I was just saying terrific news and he said, I thought you'd be happy because, you know, so I rate him as a player. And then I said, mate, are you right for uh, – I mentioned to him about the Tassie Sport Lounge. Are you right for 2 o'clock on, on Wednesday? And again, Radio Silence. <laughs> Weird. You'd think the audience that we're attracting across Good not numbers. only Australia but the world that mm-hmm. they'd be clamouring to come on. So, Benny, if Just you're out there listening, please. I know <laughs> we've had uh, a, a little bit of analysis done and we're number one sport podcast in Greenland this week. <laughs> well, there's it. actually the podcast awards and I'm <laughs> – no, did you pick up the gong? Because uh, I didn't. Yeah, no. I went. I went. <laughs> next year, we've got it done for next exactly. year, I think. So we'll, we'll be catching up with the Premier um, quite soon. And that'll be really interesting. He's got a bit of a sporting background and an interest, a couple of interesting um, parts of his sporting life that we'll talk about. In the meantime, local sport, uh, the WBBL, the Hurricanes, mm, disappointing. It was very, very disappointing, it was wasn't a it? Disappointing end to, to what showed some promise about middle of the season. Oh. But there's a lot of games packed into a month and the girls just sort of didn't didn't back up very well, did they? No, yeah, look, this is third third year in a row under Sally Ann <laughs> that they've uh, that they've really battled in four years as a whole after making the semis for uh, the first two tournaments so it's a tough one and you know I guess such different circumstances this year with the hub life but every team had to go through it and, and Sally Ann was was obviously pointing to, to use that as an excuse she said some players obviously did struggle but it's just the same ongoing problems at the moment it's just the batting they uh, they can't find any consistency in that top order Rachel Priest was signed this year over Heather Knight and, and she had an awesome tournament mm. um, and was by far the leading run scorer uh, but there was just nobody else. Well, Bowling-wise, they they struggled, but we did lose a few bowlers, didn't we? Yeah, we, we did lost lose a few. We lost um, Taylor of Lenemic went down and Macy Gibson, and Macy Gibson before yeah, the start so of the tournament, which hurt. That hurt, no doubt. Well, that, if you pick your squad and you pick your team and they're your key bowlers and you lose them pre-tournament, and then we lost uh, another bowler halfway through the you know one of our key bowlers, uh, his name's eluding me, Belinda. Uh, Vaca, oh, she only went down in the second last game. Yeah, but so, still, but it's just to have that lack of consistency in your bowling attack. But, yeah, we couldn't get them out and then they got us out pretty easily. Yeah. That sums yeah. it up pretty well, doesn't yeah. it? The batting was it for me because we've had that main staple of the team and now it's Rachel Priest and there's just no support around her. Is that's it. It's been such a focus for a couple of years as well. They She was brought in specifically for that role and she played her role but, look, we, uh, Hayley Matthews has been a big disappointment mm. in the three years. She's had flashes of brilliance and we know that she's probably an untapped talent uh, as an all-round package, but she just hasn't fired out here. And then Chloe Tryon, you know, was okay last year. Um, she's performed really well on the international stage for South Africa, but again, just just couldn't get it done for Hobart. And I think there were four or five scores of under 100, um, you know, and when they're your key players that you're 
basing around what you need to get. You know, you, you look at the, some of the scores elsewhere, 150 is probably your minimum now for, for that WBBL. You know, we talk about 170 or so for the men, but the women are really coming. The product's really good. It is, and it's improved so much over the last three years. We would have talked about 120 as a good score about three years ago, and now it's getting to that 150 par score that hurricanes I just aren't getting to. No, exactly. It comes down to play selection, doesn't it? And I think they're going to have to really look at that and, and make sure that, well, batting, obviously, they're going to have to have someone to back up Rachel. Definitely. Um, and so a bit more of a middle order because every time this collapse, it just goes right through the whole, That's it, the whole yeah. running order. But there was the one, you know, a really good positive was Amy Smith. I thought, you know, yeah, you've got good. a teenager, 15, turn 16 in the hub, um, a leg spinner, you know, it's you drop short and you bowl full tosses, everyone does it at that age. But her composure was just outstanding and, you know, she's got a really bright future and I think she was picked in the underage or the young tournament team. Um, so, yeah, look, hopefully – Which was a, a strong a – content. there's a lot of contenders for that young team because there were so many young girls and I think that's probably the benefit of the hub environment that they'll be – some of those younger players were able to get their opportunities because there's just so many games in such a short period. They were around at 24-7 while trying to do their exams and all the rest of it that came with it. But I think that's probably the benefit of um, that I've seen out of this season is that all those young players that have come through and, and shone really um, because they've been around cricket and lived it and breathed it like some of the older girls do. Well, talk about hubs. We've got a big one arriving very shortly in Hobart. We've got the, uh, the BBL coming to town. It's going to be uh, eight games in 10 days and it's starting, I think, December the 10th. The Hurricanes have got an international signing. One of your mates, Payne, is on board. <laughs> Although yeah. when, you, when you texted him to, to get him on the show to talk about it, what happened? He's been our target since our very first episode, hasn't he? And he, we delayed recordings and he was going to come on and then he couldn't and then he goes missing. Yeah, he's, look, he's, a, he's the Australian captain. That's one so thing that's <laughs> consistent about this show. We aim, for, we aim for, for people on the show and we don't get them. I'm not related, so I can't even use that carrot. But, yeah, look, really exciting. It was, it was a funny one. I remember having a chat to him. Oh, look, way before when we uh, off season and sort of talking about <clears throat> what the summer might look like for him, and he obviously he did the commentary last season mm. and said he really He's enjoyed it. That too, but he he left the jaw ajar of of coming back and I think that's the character. He knows that he's only got X amount of time left in the game and he'll only be here for the back end of the tournament those last two, three games. Yeah, how many games will we see? Uh, I think I've seen three to four floated. I, I can't – I don't know the uh, exact dates of when that Sydney test because that's been pushed back a little bit as well. The whole test calendar's yep. been pushed back a bit, hasn't it? So um, if that's finishing second week of January, late-ish second week, he, yeah, I think – Wade is in a similar boat. Those last three games, potentially four, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty good top order. Um, when, when everyone's there. <laughs> that's how it, yeah. How do, you, how do you see our batting line up without them? Uh, I think it's looking really good. Um, you look at the additions they've got this year. So Will Jacks, you know, is a Has highly touted. You know what English. we've done to all our internationals every year, though? They come here, <laughs> don't they? Gold-plated <laughs> when they arrive and they go out silver. It's it's what a happens? funny one. Yeah, we, we've killed a lot of and not just just batsmen. You know, we were talking Kumar Sangakkara. <laughs> no, no, we were talking Alex Hales in scored. It was in eight, the form of his life. Scored an eighty odd for the Renegades one year, and we get him down here, and he couldn't buy a run. Um, Scott Styrus, uh, you know, there's been a few over the years that theoretically has, though, like, how do you say? Uh, it, it's looking on paper really good. You know, we've got um, Colin Ingram is a renowned big bash. You know, star, he's proven that for Adelaide for a couple of years. So he's here early before David Milan rocks up. He's now, he's the listed 
top international batsman in 2020 cricket. So oh, he God. comes we with some kill him. raps. We kill him. <laughs> he comes with some no, raps. Seriously, don't um, talk him up. Will yeah, Jacks has got a lot of potential. He scored the fastest unofficial 100 in 2020 cricket. So they all come in with a bit of reputation. But then you throw in a Peter Hanscom, obviously relocating from the Melbourne Stars. Darcy Short's probably going to be available for the whole tournament. Mac Wright improved out of sight coming in last year as well. It's a good, good top five, six. And then Jimmy Faulkner's been in some good touch in club cricket as well. And he's been doing a lot of work with Michael DiVenuto. So the talent's there. They've just got to put it together, uh, obviously, when that first game rolls around. And two more games to add to the schedule. That's exciting. It Early is. Jan. Yeah. So obviously we saw that first, the hub that we talked about. That's going to be a, a real festival of cricket down here. And then the Hurricanes shift off to Brisbane and play a couple of games up on the coast. And then, yeah, come back after New Year for – I think it was the second and the fourth. Second against, and the fourth, both against the Stars. Again, and that pretty big draw card, I guess, they're the glamour club, aren't they, of the competition. So, uh, yeah, look, that'll be a good way to see the new year in and then they'll be on the road for their last seven games. So they, they need to be positioned really well after that game. You'd think they'd have to, you know, if they've played six games by that, you know, 4-2 at worst, I think, um, or plus the two up there. So, yeah, sorry, 6-3 six, six, maybe kind of region and then, you know, they can really have that platform for the second half of the tournament. So um, go the Hurricanes. Now, on to AFL – Ben Brown? Oh, that's right. I, couldn't get him. <laughs> I, just, I, I just got in before you guys because I know you're going to burn me. Um, but it's an interesting time of year. Obviously, you had the trade. We're leading up to the draft. And it is a time when a lot of players get delisted. And we're seeing some Tassie boys get delisted. Um, up in Sydney, uh, Thurlow and Fox basically probably have ended their careers. With the lists shrinking, which they are for 2021, it's going to be very hard for a delisted player to get onto another club. Incredibly hard to get redrafted. Isn't We've seen like, players do that in the past, go away, play a sample or a TSL for a year and then yeah. try and go back, um, you know, from that state league to, to get drafted. But that just doesn't seem like it's going to happen into the future with list sizes being shrunk. I think these guys are a little bit stiff as well. I mean, Jackson Thurlow came back in from a, a – he had a pretty big injury at the start of this year um, and then played some good footy to the back end of the season. And Robbie Fox was played the majority of the year as well. Yeah, and, and he sort of that breakout right. season. It did come as a bit of a surprise to me. I know – I think I have overheard even coming in here today that I think the clubs are looking to – re-rookie a senior spot. I think they are allowed to have a delisted guy put on as a rookie, so that might help some of them out there. But there's going to be so many. Every list, as we say, is shrinking. And then you've got the new draftees coming in. The good side of it might be, and I see this as a really positive sign, if the TSL gets hold of a few of these guys and brings them back to Tassie, you've got guys, genuine talent. Um, like, Like you said, Robbie Fox played most of the year with Sydney. If we can get them back in now and bolster the quality of the TSL, that could be a real asset going forward. The TSL is a funny one, I suppose. So we, I guess the last couple of weeks we've seen um, Kieran Lovell, so he's decided to move yeah. to Adelaide to try and get redrafted, so he sees that. But the big news of the last week has been Alan Christensen, um, Lauderdale. Interesting one, isn't it? I think Irish is really good, and I said when I heard the news that outside, well, since Jason Ackermanis, I think it's the biggest signing because we get – Tassie players back they you know eventually they might want to come back we've seen a lot of them over the years but to attract a high level talent interstate talent who's still got some good footy left in him he's only 29 so he's not completely washed up uh, for them to lure him down <laughs> and from what I gather he actually loves Tasmania yeah so what's the story there he just wants to see change he's 
Going down the dale. Um, yeah, so he's got, he's got a good connection with Josh McGuinness. And um, and so that sort of – they got the ball rolling there. And I think – so he was telling me on the weekend that Josh sent him a text and asked sort of if he'd thought about Tassie as a potential option. And he, and Alan said, look, to be honest, no, not really. Um, you know, they've got – they had Brisbane. They're obviously from Geelong. And then he decided that, you know, announced his retirement. And I think later that afternoon he was saying he had a couple of missed calls and Josh had been onto him straight away. And it was just more around the work side of things as well so he's looking to to get into the player welfare side of it mm-hmm. um, obviously with his, his Aboriginal heritage that's really important to him as well and I think Lauderdale have come through with some goods there with some off-field stuff um, getting out into schools and and I think there might be an opportunity with uh, Speak Up Stay Chatty as well so that mental health space somehow you know, obviously they've linked in there um, but this is a big get um, you know and he's hoping that even if he, him coming down and wanting to play down here might be able to attract a few more guys which there's going to be some guys out there now if they don't want to be trying to revive their AFL careers they could get down but money's just the issue compared to some of these leagues interstate yeah it certainly is and and the opportunity to get redrafted which doesn't happen from here as much as does in West Australia or South Australia let's hope they can uh, actually get redrafted Kieran Lovell I'd love to see him back in a talent and he didn't really show it at Hawthorne when he was there unfortunately Well, as we said, we've managed to deliver on one of our big guests. Most of our big guests don't get delivered. But, Aldie, I'll pay you a a homage. You've actually delivered the great man, the Premier, Peter Gutwin. Hello, Premier. Dave, how are you? Thank you so much. We do have a history. In fact, uh, someone told us when I was working in the media that we actually looked very much alike. So we had a photo taken with me with a skull cap on and the Premier with a wig, a strange, greying, long, curly wig. And it was quite scary how we did look similar, wasn't it? Frightening. (laughs) <laughs> Frightening. Frightened both of us. Yeah, no, I had questions for my mum that night, I can tell you. <laughs> so your sporting career, I know a little bit about it. Um, football's a big part of your background. I know you love your footy. Uh, East Launceston, uh, uh, I played in the NTFA with Scottster and East Launceston were a proud club, not a very successful club, but a proud club who don't exist anymore. What do you think of that league from that era? Look, it's interesting. I used to come come and watch you play. I used to pay my gate entry just to come and watch you play. I was one of the kids that used to sit in the uh, trees at the back of um, York Park then, those pine trees, and we'd uh, take our lunch and we'd sit there and watch Scottsdale um, play North Launceston. Weren't they epic games? They they were big games. Um, Vicious. (laughs) You and uh, Gordon Cuff and um, there would have been the uh, Lethborgs in that team as well, just some fantastic blokes, some halls as well. But, uh, yeah, you were a sensational footballer. had a really long gait, if I remember right. That's right. Um, I've still got it. Yeah. <laughs> was he soft back then? <laughs> I'm, soft, was, I'm soft with Oldie. He wasn't super quick over 10, but once he got going, no one could catch him. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was. We're here to talk yeah. about <laughs> you, Premier. Tell us about your um, upbringing in the north of the state, and particularly your football career. Well, I, I grew up at Newnamara. In fact, I almost played for Scottsdale. I, I went to uh, school at Queechee High School. And uh, I didn't start playing football until I was uh, 13. Um, I went to a little school called Myrtle Park that didn't have a, a football team. And, in fact, the only game of football I'd played as um, a kid in primary school was we played uh, Gladstone. And we had, uh, I think it was 12 a side because there were only 50 kids at Myrtle Park Primary School and even less at Gladstone. But we went to Gladstone and played one game of footy. So I, I pl- lived in Unamara, played with uh, Queechy, um, was lucky enough to... Uh, uh, really enjoy the game and work hard at it. And uh, I actually, I played my first uh, senior game when I was 15, still at high school, at Queechee with East. And under Bob Withers, who was our coach then, um, 
and then uh, sort of went on and played for a few different clubs after that. So now I've got one for you, Premier. Now I've heard a bit of a rumour. <laughs> He's been building up to this all day. This I thought this is my opportunity, non-political type stuff. So I heard a great story. I know that the state footy sides used to, underage footy sides used to have Alan Jeans come down and run um, sessions with him. And I know the players used to absolutely hate it because he used to work their backside off. But everyone was scared of Alan Jeans because he was very much a domineering figure. But the story I've been told is that you might have been one of the rare young men that actually challenged him. So you were probably destined for a career early. Is that true? <laughs> And if so, what happened? Well, what I can tell you is that when I was growing up, we didn't have much um, at home. And, in fact, by that, my parents, we never watched a great deal of TV or anything like that. And I didn't even know who Alan Jeans was, to be frank. Anyway, Jeans is um, taking this uh, uh, training camp for us and he had me playing, I think it was centre-half forward or somewhere. Everywhere. And he moved me to a half-back flank. And so I started to argue with him. <laughs> well, I can assure you, I learned out pretty quickly, uh, found out pretty quickly who Alan Jeans was, <laughs> I can assure you. Yeah. So. Maybe you made the state side? Yeah, played um, under-15s, uh, under-16s and I was in the under seventeen squad and then I got uh, got injured and uh, didn't go, didn't play that year. So you made – sorry, you, you played your first game footy as 13-year-old and two years later you were playing state footy. You must have had a bit of ability. Look, I was just – look, I could I, I was reasonably quick. Um, and I could catch and kick, which was sort of the, the two basic skills that you needed to Pretty have. Pretty important. <laughs> and the other one I've got is, um, is it true that you uh, you might have been suspended? Or suspended for life, possibly. I've heard a bit of a story. What's the story there? Well, look, it's, it actually sounds a little worse than what it actually was. <laughs> so this um, is your chance to explain it. When I was uh, when I was playing with East Launceston, uh, when I was uh, seventeen, I'd um, ended up uh, having some difficulties with the club, and so I left without a clearance and went and played with the amateurs, not knowing at that time that by leaving and playing with Mowbray, if you left without a clearance, you were automatically banned for life. <laughs> um, that was the rules then. Uh, and so I'd, I'd left, found out about two or three games into my uh, stint with Mowbray that I could never go back to the NTFA. Uh, I played then two years with them. But in 1983, I think it was, or thereabouts, uh, there was a visit by the Queen to Australia and she provided an amnesty to all, <laughs> all sports people that had those types of um, bands. That's random. Um, and so in... In 1984, I went back to East Launceston and played a couple of years and then went off to the West and played with Swan Districts. Well, some sort of footy forum, big footy maybe, tells us that you played one game in WA, 1986. How do you play one game at a club? Well, I, in fact, funnily enough, I had a blue with John Todd, who was the coach of the <laughs> This is a theme. <laughs> How did you get on with Will Hodgman? Well, <laughs> I, um, I went across and, uh, in fact, there were a couple of They took three Tasmanians that year. And uh, uh, one was a guy from down south here, a guy called Michael Noble, that um, went on to play, I think, with North Hobart, or played with North Hobart, yes. and I think at the Nobles. And his um, younger brother's now the coach of North Melbourne. Um, so we went across, uh, John Todd was the coach, and I played through all of the pre-season games. We, we actually had a, a double, the Waffle was a pretty good side then. We played against um, Collingwood and beat them. Played in, uh, played on Jeff Rains in one of the pre-season matches. Uh, we beat uh, Essendon, I think it was, as well. And then um, uh, we started playing the season and I got dropped back to the twos and I, I had to work so hard to get back up to, to get back into the seniors. And I got to the, back in and then Todd and I had never seen eye to eye and we actually <laughs> just had one of those moments and next thing I was, um, uh, was looking it. for another club. <laughs> On a plane back to Tassie. <laughs> well, he actually did threaten to send me back to Tassie. <laughs> but he was he was a sensational coach. And, in fact, they were one of the most successful um, uh, waffle sides through that period. 
he was tough, he was hard, he was disciplined. And um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, when I look back, he actually had a, a great bearing on my life, um, you know, the short period of time I spent there because uh, – yeah, he was just so single-minded. And you knew you couldn't argue with, with authority every time. <laughs> Premier, you're still an avid watcher of AFL. We know you're a, you've got a big part to play with Tasmania's role in the game. Do you, are you someone who likes to sit down on a Saturday afternoon or if you get a break and watch Friday night footy, anything like that? Look, if I get a, get a break, I'd love to watch it, um, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I was uh, down here last night and actually had the pleasure of um, turning the TV on late and I watched um, – uh, it was St Kilda versus um, uh, Geelong in the 1993, I think it was, elimination final. And it was a cracker of a game. And I watched it right till the end. Um, no, I do like watching my footy when I get a chance. The, I guess, obviously, it's a big part and we know we're transitioning into a Tasmania having its own side. How are you still – are we still on track for, I guess, that initial goal from a couple of years ago despite the COVID situation that's – Struck down the leg this year? Well, look, COVID's obviously thrown everything up in the air. But one thing I think is absolutely clear is that you know, the, the AFL as a business unit now has to be on a weaker footing than what it was 12 months ago. You know, like every business that's been affected. And so, you know, our push for an AFL side at the moment is, uh, is still as strong as it was. And the task force, they set a goal of 2025 um, for our own licence and – yeah, I'm determined that we continue to work towards that. Now, obviously, we're engaged with um, the AFL. I've um, been engaged right through the season um, with Gil, and obviously he's had a lot of things on his plate. And I'd, I think it's worth saying that the AFL this year have done just an outstanding job. Who would have ever thought that we would see a grand final uh, played this year and, um, you know, that they managed to keep those hubs together? So, you know, I certainly give a nod to the efforts they made. But... My, our determination is there to get a, get a team. And I think that, you know, as a state and a federation, and this is a point I've made to Gill on many occasions, you know, a state, it was one state out of a federation, you know, we deserve the opportunity to have our own team. You know, this is one country. We're made up of um, states and, and a couple of territories. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we paid our dues. We should be in there. There's a lot of discussion that with uh, what you referred to, the financial situation of the AFL, that there's a likelihood that there'll be a will for the AFL to relocate, say, North Melbourne, who are one of the less financial sides in the AFL. Would you accept that or is it still a commitment to have our own franchise? Well, obviously, I think having our own franchise would be cleaner. I do. Um, you know, and obviously when uh, teams have been relocated, you know, it hasn't always worked, albeit, uh, you know, you look around, you know, Sydney's now, you know, it took mm. a while to get sorted and, um, you know, has done. Brisbane um, took a while to get sorted and has done. But I think opportunity is a wonderful thing. In fact, that's one of the things that John Todd taught me. Um, he had a saying, you know, opportunity is a wonderful thing. When it's there, you should grab it. Now, uh, if that opportunity uh, arises, then I think we should explore it fully with the AFL right now. On North Melbourne and the Hawthorne deals, they've got a couple of years to, to play out. But obviously this year um, we haven't had games here in Tasmania. Can you talk us through what are the plans for the funding that would have gone to those two teams and whether it goes to, to grassroots or, or elsewhere? Look, in terms of the uh, funding and the money that uh, was actually saved as a result of the Hawthorne deal, that's been pretty much put straight back into local sport this year. In fact, through COVID, we spent um, you know, several million dollars investing into local um, sport to make certain that 
clubs could survive, that we could provide um, assistance with clubs as they started to come out of the COVID. And this is clubs, not just football, but right across the board, netball, hockey, others, that where they needed assistance to get themselves COVID uh, ready so that they could continue, we provided funding. And obviously we're doing you know, quite a significant amount of investment um, in terms of uh, new facilities, especially for uh, female sport. But in terms of the negotiations with Hawthorne, like they, they've obviously started. Um, North Melbourne, um, their contracts with uh, TT Line, and I understand that will uh, we'll be starting either later this year or early next year. But I'm, one of the things that I've made really clear to Gil, um, and I've had this conversation with Jeff Kennett as well, that the next contract that, um, that we enter into has to be a transitional contract, has to be a bridge to somewhere. And you know, I'm hopeful that you know, as we work with our partners, North Melbourne and Hawthorne, uh, and if we can get to a point where we can get a licence um, at some stage, you know, hopefully around 2025, that you know, the strength of the relationship that we have with those teams will not be demonstrated by what happens right now. It will be demonstrated with how, in respect of how much dignity uh, we can both exit those arrangements and at the same time both be better off for it. Ask you, I don't know if difficult is the right word, but in terms of dealings with presidents and CEOs, uh, Jeff Kennett or Larry Kesselman, who's harder <laughs> when it comes to the negotiation table? Look, well, they're both forces of nature. I've said that actually about Larry Kesselman on a few occasions. Um, yeah, uh, he would be one of the most single minded and determined people that I've ever met. And yeah, he he will deliver uh, the basketball team next year. Um, you know, it's my view that um, you know, he'll get the job done in terms of the stadium as well, and that you know, and if that is does take a little longer, you know, he'll have a contingency plan and we'll work around that. Um, but you know, Jeff Kennett has been you know, a fantastic advocate for Victoria. Uh, he's been a fantastic advocate for Hawthorne for a long period of time. Yeah, you know, I, I look back when Jeff was president. Um, you know. Just through the sheer force, uh, sorry, not through president when he was premier. Just through the sheer force of his will, yeah, you know, he reshaped Victoria. Yeah, you know, he turned. Yeah, you know, the fact that they are such a sporting powerhouse at the moment is as a result of the work that he and Ron Walker did uh, when he was um, premier in that period. And uh, you know, I think history will always look fondly on Jeff Kennett, both in time in terms of his time with as premier, but also his uh, term as uh, president of um, Hawthorne Football Club. You made, you made the point that it's really important that we're in the federation as far as the AFL is concerned and we get considered as a state and have representation. Now we have the Jack Jumpers in the NBL, which is fantastic, and you've been incredibly supportive of that. Do you see that as an important part of the maturity of or the maturing of Tasmania and maybe even getting, say, representation in the A-League? Look, I think it's a natural progression. Um, yeah, the point I've made about um, you know, the state deserving to be on the national stage and part of um, national leagues, you know, and it's not something for me and it's not any, anything for any of us sitting around here having this conversation. This is about the 10-year-old kids that we've got out there that have got a, a pathway and can view themselves as being um, proud Australians with the same opportunities as anyone else in the country. You know, I used to turn up to watch you play when I was a boy. <laughs> stop at, um, it. Stop <laughs> it, Premier. Stop and it. Say that again. <laughs> Who did you – what did you go to the footy for? <laughs> I used to pay my money to get to get through the gate to to, uh, to watch you play at um, Hill Park. Now, what we need – you know, our kids need to to have those pathways. And one, I think it will be good for the, uh, for the health and well-being of the state, importantly. But two, it's, it's – this is a pride thing. It's about – Tasmanians, um, you know, in recent years we have stood up and we have said we are as good as anyone else in this country. 
Now, when I was growing up, yeah, you know, there were times when I was in WA, and I've heard you know other other um, leaders in this state at different times. Janie Dickinson gave a great speech when she was first elected as mayor in Launceston. I was heard her talking to some kids, and she said she went to Sydney in the um, in the nineties, and she said she wasn't proud enough to say that she was from Tasmania because at that time there was the two headed cringe. There was a lot of you know we just weren't seen as being um, you know up there with the rest of the country. Now, that's changed and, you know, there's been a lot of change over the last 20 years that has got us to this point where I think you know, we are as good as anyone else in the country. I think we're better, to be frank. I agree. Um, what we've got to do now in terms of um, uh, being able to, to stand on that national stage, we can do it as far as our economy is concerned. We can do it um, as far as basketball is concerned. You know, we now need to do this with AFL and we need to do it with A-League as well. I'm going to ask you about that. Are you a genuine feeling that, uh, a top flight team in all major codes is sustainable in Tasmania. It's been a knock for a lot of people, even just for the standalone AFL team. But footy, basketball, we know we've got cricket. You feel as though we could have a potentially a Tasmanian team in all major codes? Well, there's two key things here. One is um, you know, all of the um, the major codes rely on outbound advertising. That's about, it doesn't matter where you play the game in the country. Um, you know, it's about outbound advertising. Um, it's about having content and having content that sponsors will uh, – uh, line up for and it's about having uh, uh, teams and uh, and uh, a code that where uh, people will line up and they will want their product associated with it. Now Tasmania at the moment is the hottest place on the planet. You know when you look at um, the way that uh, international visitation in recent years um, and the view of the world in terms of what we've got to offer here and where we're heading, I think you know, in terms of we, we will be an energy powerhouse in this country in coming decades. There's no two two ways about that. We've got a lot to offer. There's a lot of good reasons for sponsors. There's a lot of good reasons for those people that, that uh, want to have their product associated with Tasmania, for them to have it associated with ta- a Tasmanian team. You know, and I, I couldn't be surer than, uh, on any matter than you know, as we move forward, you know, Tasmania will get to have its moment on the national stage. We're doing it with basketball, we'll do it with the AFL and I'm sure we'll do it with the A-League as well. Speaking of investment, it's huge investment in the deck precinct. Can you give us a bit of a... <laughs> Update on how that's going because it's a pretty big build in a pretty short time frame. Well, the initial contract's already underway, and that's for basically the the strip out of the of, um, of the deck and getting it ready for the uh, major development. Um, and that's on track. In fact, I, uh, you know, as I said, you know, Kesselman's uh, like a force of nature. Yeah, you know, he'll run this thing to the second. Don't worry about that. Um, so that's underway. Uh, the re uh, the rebuild and the renovation of the deck and turning that into um, an A grade. Um, facility here in Tasmania, which well, will be good. A couple of great shots of you in a hard hat. Um, have you got the hard hat out and gone out there on the weekend to just help out? Has Larry called you up? Look, I, in fact, I, I think I put the first hole in the wall out. You did. I, I, did. I think I did that. Yeah. Um, you know, Magnificent work. Yeah, they, they didn't give me anything too technical to work with a sledgehammer, <laughs> but um, I've worked out which end to um, hang on to. Um, but that will um, you know, that'll, that'll progress over the, the coming uh, 12 months and – you know, the plans for uh, that facility are really exciting. Not only will it be a, a great sporting venue, and in fact it'll have a, um, uh, a court, a show court, but it'll actually then pivot into having three other courts inside it as well. Um, plus it'll be able to be used for events, um, major um, concerts. You know, so it'll be fantastic. It'll be a real addition to um, uh, both the social and sporting capital that we have here in the state. But how important has sport been to... Peter Gutwin, the Premier. Obviously, you've had the footy background. I think you're a, you're a teacher, I think, of Taekwondo and stuff. Obviously, your son, Flynn, um, is 
what I've seen an up and coming young football. How important would you say to Flynn that sport has sort of shaped you, and what would you encourage him to keep playing his footy or keep involved in like team sports? Well, one thing because he might listen to this. I better say he's act, his name's Finn. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I sent Oldie out here half an hour earlier, and you still can't get that right. Flynn, no, no, Flynn is a very nice name. Yeah, no, in fact, <laughs> it's troubling. You're on the job. Flynn's actually Finn's best mate. <laughs> That's who he meant. Finn, Finn's not much chalk. Flynn's a really good little player. Look, for, both, for both Finn and Flynn, it's, it's um, sports really – look, one of the things that um, I think we can all agree on, um, you know, sport turns young people into adults and it can help sh- um, frame them up as adults. And that, that was the thing, you know, I learned – you know, Dave, you said earlier on um, in this uh, interview, you know, East Launceston didn't win much. But the people at East Launceston were fantastic. You know, some of them, uh, you know, many of the those that were uh, the adults and some of the older people around the club are still around today, um, you know, 40 years later, um, and you know, still talk to them and they had a bearing on my life. You know, they actually helped turn, you know, a young Peter Gutman into a, you know, a reasonable young adult. And I know that happens in all clubs. Um, you know, it's that pathway, it's that, um, that opportunity to actually – you know, be shaped and, and, and honed and uh, provided with, um, you know, the life lessons that you don't necessarily always get at home. Talking about being shaped and honed, um, you're rising pretty good, Nick. Uh, <laughs> and how do you do it? Because obviously you would have very demanding hours, but you do look pretty fit. Are you still fit? And if so, is it a home gym? Have you got a – in your office, have you got what, a, one of those late-night TV – Multi-machines, <laughs> a com- combined rower and weight set. What have you got? Uh, none of the above. Um, what I did do, I was actually – I set myself um, back in 2010 to run a marathon and uh, one of the councils in Launceston, a guy called you McKenzie, and I decided that we'd set ourselves and over a nine-month period we, we got fit and we, we ran a marathon. Shortly thereafter, that, uh, that year, I was sitting next to Tom Hafey at the South Launceston Football Club Grand Final uh, you gave him a bit of cheek in your typical style. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tom and I got on really well, but Tom Tom had said Tom said to me that uh, he was, I think, eighty at that stage. He died at eighty two, I think, from memory, a couple of years later. But he was still doing sit ups and push ups every single day. And in December of that year, uh, my tendon tore in my leg. I'm not uh, not right through, but I had a, a micro tear and I couldn't run anymore. And I was given three months off and I thought, well, gee, if it was good enough for Tom Hafey, I'll start doing 100 push-ups a day and a couple of hundred sit-ups. And I reckon since the 10th of December 2012, which is when I, I did the micro tear, if I've missed a dozen days uh, since then of doing that routine every morning. In the um, office? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just picturing find- someone coming in for a meeting and there you are on the floor. And I just find that um, that's just enough and if I can, I'll, I'll, I'll walk or run. But uh, my... Uh, training for that marathon actually uh, over that period of time actually did quite a bit of damage to my to my legs. Like we hit it too hard, and so I I no longer do long runs. I would love to, but I don't. Um, I just do that daily routine. I suppose before we let you go, Premier, obviously we're a couple of weeks away from the start of summer and the cricket season. Obviously, a lot of work would have gone into. Uh, the Big Bash, and I know people are probably very excited, especially in Hobart. We haven't had a lot any elite-level sport down here to get along with. Uh, hard work, was it, getting that over the line, but no doubt exciting that, yeah, a couple of weeks we've got some cricket that people can go and attend and, and get back out there and enjoy themselves. Well, look, the guys from Cricket Taz were just fantastic. Um, you know, Tim Lubberbond, um, brilliant to work with. 
it's great now that we've had a couple of extra games as well now with um, with 10 games over the summer. You know, obviously, we've got to be mindful of COVID and, uh, you know, I think Tassie you know, was a standout. When we started the discussions about looking at whether or not we could play games in December, um, you know, at that time, Victoria was still in the depths of where it was at and obviously around the country, things hadn't quite settled down. So we looked like an absolute standout. And so we were getting the uh, the games, um, the first eight, uh, you know, took a fair bit of work, but I think it was seen as sort of a, you know, a fairly uh, sensible outcome in terms of where the country was at the time and when we made that, that announcement. Now with uh, an additional two, it'll just be great to have some content here in the state. Um, you know, 10 games, uh, I must admit, like I love it when it's played up north and I think that's, if anything, I would, you know, if I missed on anything, I would have liked to have seen maybe a 6-4 split rather than an 8-2 split. Um, but we've got some great games up there and it's fantastic. Well, Premier, you've been incredibly generous with your time and your stories from your own life. Really appreciate you coming on the Tassie Sport Lounge. Look forward to hopefully having you again on soon. Great. Look, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. A very special guest with us, and someone who's been in the news lately, Darren Sturgis. He's the CEO of Tennis Tasmania and the Hobart International Tournament Director, of course, which is now the Hobart International in Melbourne. How, how does that actually work, and will it work? Look, the there was there was a lot of challenges for us as a sport to um, get players to enter the country. So obviously, a lot of work with the federal government to allow that, given the current pandemic that's been going on. And then the initial plan was to quarantine across across three different states. Um, which each state had its own different nuances in how that how that needs to be. So and unfortunately for the players, what that means is there's potentially inconsistent preparations and, and we've got to be fair to every single player who's competing across the summer to be able to um, to prepare in exactly the same way so that there's no advantage or disadvantage to any group. So the intention now is to, to have everything hosted in Melbourne and Victoria um, and that's still an ongoing process because there are discussions with Tennis Australia and the Victorian government getting into the details um, and hopefully we'll, we'll hear what that calendar, what that summer of tennis will look like um, in, the, in the next week or so. So talk us through the last couple of months. We sort of thought we, we were pretty confident that it will go ahead and as we got less and less cases, we're COVID-free for such a long time that we would get these regional events and, and we'll look forward to some professional sport in Tassie. Talk us through how it all played out over the last at least month or so. Yeah, well, I remember um, we were talking about this back in March and, and um the fact that we probably thought we were a little bit lucky along with cricket being bringing a predominantly summer event series um, that we we would be okay by this time. But obviously, you, you know, it, it's um, an unknown entity, this um, uh, this this virus that's going around. And and uh, I was saying to Adam just before jumping on here that uh, we're really confident um, probably two, two weeks out from the announcement, I was really confident that we'd, we'd be able to do something. Um, I was aware that there was going to be some risks um, in terms of um, what appetite we wanted to do for players to be able to move from state to state and not miss out on the Australian Open because that that is the reason they travel here is to prepare in events like Hobart International to prepare for the, for the Australian Open and play there. So, yeah, it went from a, a fortnight where I was feeling really confident and optimistic to I think I think this is at a, you know, we're at risk here and I can totally understand that the sport um, is funded largely by the Australian Open, not only in Tasmania, but in Victoria, Northern Territory, WA, Tennis Australia generate a lot of income from the Australian Open that's put back into our grassroots and our participations. It's what helps us have a team of people who can be spread across the state and, 
and 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 work with our clubs and coaches to grow the sport um and that needs to be protected roughly 90 percent of our our uh, tennis income comes through the Australian Open. So when you start to weigh that up and um, given what's going on, um, you know, the, the decision becomes a little clearer. Yeah. Was there any hope or thoughts that given obviously the different borders from each state, uh, you know, the different rules in place, was there a chance that if South Australia, for example, were hard quarantine and we were soft that we, we could have the Hobart International and other events moved or was it always going to be a one or all approach and that's just how they had to play it out? Yeah, we look as a sport. I'm really proud of in terms of the the team across the country and how we approached it. We were very late in announcing this, but we wanted to to make sure no stone was was not unturned to to give every chance of a multi city approach. So we always wanted that as the preferred option, but we needed the buy in from every government around the country that hosted these events to to ensure that we'd be able to have free passage for the players. and And the risk becomes is if you had you know, the, the 60 odd players in Hobart and we unfortunately had an outbreak and then they couldn't travel to Victoria for the Australian Open. Then it undermines the integrity of the Australian Open. Um, the players, you know, are here to participate in that event and, and that's where it's just, it becomes really untenable uh, to be able to do that. Well, you could have um, asked Novak Djokovic. He's got a lot of people who are <laughs> Already uh, inoculated against COVID after his, his little tournament. You just invite them all down. Was there any conversation about bringing the Australian Open to Hobart? I mean, why do we have to go there? Why can't they come here? Yeah, well, we're, we're, looking, we're the one who's been COVID free for so long. I know, I know. I, Stuff I, at Victoria. I can't wait for our 40 plus court facility, um, three, okay, three okay. stadiums fair, with covered, cop, covered roofs, etc. So, look, there. There certainly be those options explored about, you know, talking about the bigger bigger locations such as Sydney and Brisbane playing, you know, a potential role in hosting that. But when you come back to the infrastructure, the number of hard courts, the practice, when you're bringing those events into one location, there's a lot of a lot of courts that are in use for a range of different reasons and, and Victoria is really the only state that can that can house it all at once. We obviously have seen even the, the dates are still a little bit in jeopardy. I know there's still a, a bit of furore around quarantining and what the players can do. If it gets pushed back, and we've seen it possibly might to a march, does that open a Hobart International in Tassie back up again or do you still think it will be all in Melbourne? Uh, I think it will all stay there. I think... Um, Look, it it could be a possibility, but I think I don't think so for us. I think what we've got to realise is that we're part of a global calendar as well, and the, any pushback starts to eat into you know the Indian Wells events, Dubai's and Doha's that follow on, and different events that have been impacted last year. So it's also not only just making the calendar work for us, even though the players have indicated that the Grand Slams are the the events they want to make sure are protected first and foremost, but there's a flow on impact to all the other events that are hosted around the world. And, um, you know, sitting on those, those groups and those calls throughout the year, the, the, the collaboration, the approach from the Asia Pacific group, um, of tournament organizers, like they've, they've suffered with the cancellation of Auckland, uh, which run one of the best events at our level, similar to us, um, Shenzhen in China as well. There, there are, um, groups that are hurting out of that, but you know, the way that everyone's worked together is really positive. So, it is such a fabulous event, brings so many people to Hobart usually every other year. Can Is there something else potentially in the works? What's the, what's happened to the facility over the summer? What does the summer of tennis look like for Tassie now? Yeah, it's uh, look, we're talking about it a lot as a team and, and given the uncertainty of the calendar, what will happen to the team that works on the event is they 
a, a earmark to support the the Melbourne based operations in some way, shape, or form. So we're we're definitely working through what we can do um, as a sport. We we've got a play tennis campaign that that is coming out nationally as well. So it gives us a real opportunity where our resources often get drawn into this. And as a small team, we we do get away from the ability to support our clubs as as well as we'd like during that period and our, and our coaching cohort and the participation base. This gives us a chance to to be able to work a bit more closely with them. And, f- you know, f- for a year of change, while it closes one door in terms of that, that promotion on the ground in Tasmania, it also opens up. Um, you know, other opportunities for us that we don't normally get to do at this time of year. You've had some big players at the Open, um, you know, right back to Kim Clijsters, who was a winner, well, I think, nine, 1990s, sometime I remember being there. Yep. Um, what's the biggest name that you remember? What were the personalities like? Who, who was the most difficult? Look, no one listens to this show. <laughs> <laughs> I know at the beginning I said we've got an audience of over 5 million. <laughs> But to be honest, it's just us and our family. So, so tell us the truth, mate. Who was the most difficult at the time? Um, look, I've only been involved in a short time. So, um, yeah, it's – look, each player has a different different personality. I've, look, I've been lucky enough to to work in the player services area at the Australian Open. And are there any divas though? Are there, are there some people – who are real divas? Of course, not as big as you, Dave. <laughs> That's certain, impossible. Someone are. go and get my cardio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, there's certainly players that prefer to go through their management or their partner or – and then some players, you know, like we'd build up some great rapport with them where they'd come and – you know, have a chat. Uh, we have this running joke. We've got our coaches. Um, we call them our coaches. Um, so I had a stash of beer at my desk and wine for for all the coaches because these people travel the world and it's a great way to showcase some of the Tassie produce and um, also just unwind with them a little bit and just have a chat. And uh, this year, Vanya King, who's recently retired, but an American player who had a really good doubles career, just sat down, just shoot the breeze, um, and funnily enough, has got an Australian um, uh, visa, so she can she can <laughs> so move. Can here so, so as, as soon as we've got enough money, I want to try and second her out to Tassie for <laughs> and, really and she, she really loves it out here. She she I think she'd genuinely t- think about that. But um, look, in my time, you know, th- three three coming up four years, short years, I think. Um, Sonia Cannon or Sophia Cannon as, as she's publicly known, but she likes to be known as Sonia, um, who went, who won in 2019 and then went on to win the Australian Open this year. Um, you know, it's really exciting in terms of a platform that our event um, does. And I've also got a big call out to Bernie International and Launceston Internationals too that, that unfortunately are, are um, off the calendar as well that follow the Australian Open, but... Um, our winner this year, Alina Rybakina, um, she won Launceston last year. So that shows that Tasmania provides a real pathway for the international players. And, you know, I think this year too, having um, Jess Fowler, a local player, being able to give give her a wild card and have a Tasmanian into the main draw, which is a steep learning curve for her, but she's, um, you know, she's making a, a good fist of trying to trying to grow pro. So, you know, we wish her the best. And it was great to be able to, to, to award that. So they're probably some <laughs> of my highlights from you know, three and a three and a half short years. <laughs> I can say I've covered, I've been doing it for the best part of a decade or so, I reckon. I think obviously you're interviewing players that have lost, you know, some Here of them are go. moving on to the Australian Here Open. We go. No, the, the, one, the one that I, that sticks out in my memory is uh, Danara <laughs> Safina. Um, she came here as a Wasn't former happy. world number one. Oh, no, she got rolled in the first round. I think, and didn't talk, did do no post-match pressers. And I think it's like a $100 fine or something, isn't it, if you don't rock up and do post-match for, for an event like this. So that was probably just changed to her. But she 
she was just one that stuck out because we just couldn't get her. We were sitting around and, and after a while, and this was pre obviously your time, Darren, it was just, no, nah, she's not coming. That's it. And we're like, it was a night match as well. And so we had <laughs> deadlines and, and everything. But I wanted to ask Darren, you've obviously had yeah, 2017, you joined down here. What's any big changes in Tasmania as a whole and the sport as a whole? I guess we're probably a small player compared to some of the markets interstate, but yeah, you've, seen anything in Radical, what you've tried to implement to improve the sport from a hole down here? Yeah, I, I guess starting off with the event, um, you know, I saw a, a great tennis tournament, but we didn't have too much else to offer out that uh, out um, outside of the tennis itself. And we know that the tennis players and the product and what's on court is is brilliant. So what we've tried to add is a bit more of an event atmosphere. We we do run off a bit of an oily rag. So we, each year we've been trying to build up a little bit more and we have a real strong connection to community as well. So bringing more of our Aboriginal representation in with welcome to countries and acknowledgement of countries and, and displays on court. We've also featured our, our Tasmanian Aboriginal team that have gone up to the Indigenous Tennis Carnival in Darwin, um, brought New Horizons with um, the, the sports club for people with a disability to come and exhibition on court. And we do more of that. We try and offer ticketings out so that everyone has an opportunity to be involved in this event. So that's probably on that, that part of it as well. From, from a tennis perspective, I, I've, what I'm really pleased with is we've, we've seen consistent growth, um, stable growth, um, where, where I started, we, we, we've just had three new clubs come on board um, affiliation. So we're up to 46 clubs in total. Um, and we've had our first ever um, our Hobart Out Tennis Club, which is a club that doesn't have a venue per se, but they're, they're a um, LGBTIQ friendly um, tennis club that have started off and we're working with them to help. So I'm really proud of that. Um, I think where where we're we're starting to see growth in our our club members as well. So from from our perspective, we we didn't have a we weren't easy to find as a sport online. So if you jump online, there was different websites, different hosts, and we've been able to to use a platform over the last twelve to eighteen months that's really user friendly, um, easy to start finding clubs, and and clubs have been starting to use it. And we we ran a campaign this year. Um, called Get Your Racket On, which is our open court sessions, which is a social thing about encouraging adults that are laps players or haven't played for a while or or want to try it out for the first time to come along and play on smaller courts with smaller rackets. It's a bit easier to play. It's all about the social, um, you know. How about, all, I've all got the, an idea for you. <laughs> yeah. Friday night. Another <laughs> challenge involving Dave Noon. No, Dave, more Dave well, Dave's. 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 Well, it's yet maybe. to take off. There are a lot of tennis players, and I've played with some of them over the years, who are very angry tennis players. <laughs> Just have a special Friday night session for angry tennis players. You know, the people who Just are likely a to... a racket-smashing th- competition. No, no, they play, but you know that you're going to get a racket broken every now and then. That would attract an audience. Like, I'd be up there every Friday night and playing as well. Like, my brother used to smash... I used to play him for years and years. God, he went through some rackets. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few tantrums out there. Isn't there? <laughs> Can you play at all? Are you any good? Oh no, I'm average. <laughs> I, I like to have a hit every now and then. Um, yeah. So, but uh, how about this then? Friday night, come and beat Darren. Then <laughs> <laughs> anyone can come up. And you're just up there every Friday night. Probably be me breaking. <laughs> I don't know about that, but what? What about the tournament ongoing? Twenty twenty two. 
Are we likely to see a Hobart International, not a not a racket smashing competition, maybe? <laughs> yeah, look, we're we're definitely planning for a bigger and better 2022, and you know it's great to see that there's a lot of optimism about some of the vaccines that are being created. So, you know, let's hope for for everyone, not only tennis but all the sports, but also we've got so many people amongst the community. I mean, you know, this for THA, I really, um, you know my heart out to those in the hospitality and tourism industry that have been impacted so much by the border closures and that community, I just have to acknowledge um, greatly for their ongoing support. So through the THA and their, and their members, we, they donated vouchers for players during Hobart International this year where players could go down and dine at the restaurant and were able to run uh, giveaways as well for fans as well. And um, yeah, look, we, we hope they're able to bounce back um, quickly and, and um, smoothly as possible, and and we look forward to working with them in the future as well. Well, let's hope that 2022 happens. That's Darren Sturgis, who is the CEO of the Hobart International, which this year is the Hobart International in Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) We think. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Darren. Thanks, mate. All right, times for Clubs Corner here on the Tassie Sport Lounge with Clubs Tasmania Project Manager Andrew Moore. Maury, what have you got for us this week? We've got plenty, Caitlin. G'day, Dave. G'day, Smithy. Afternoon. Well, clubs are pretty excited. We've got uh, grant information. We've got um, a community clubs forum coming up and we've got obviously news from around the clubs uh, from across the state. Excellent. It was a good day uh, the other week. A budget day was very beneficial for clubs. Yeah, fantastic. So we saw uh, quite a bit of money, so uh, over a million dollars each to uh, some of the larger peak bodies. So we had, um, I think, AFL TAS, Football Federation, um, basketball TAS um, receiving additional funding to help um, increase participation and, and, and grow their sports. And improving the playing field. Yes, yeah, so those grants were announced last week, which was very exciting. So, uh, again, we'll be in touch with some of those clubs later in the week. So, just example, like Campbelltown Tennis Club, they received some funding for a hit-up wall. Um, Gilston Bay Tennis Club also um, in, got some successful money there for their grants around getting additional lights. Huon Valley Golf Club around drainage. So that's a fantastic um, scheme funded by the uh, government, $5 million over the next two years to support community clubs with those infrastructure projects that they just can't raise that money themselves. So I'm sure Dave and Smithy and Caitlin, if you've got to raise $50,000 for, um, you know, court lighting, it's a big ask on community clubs. Well, that's, a lot of the communities and the clubs now struggle to get volunteers and support, don't they? It's, it's become a harder and harder ask of communities. Yeah, and you know what? That's one of the things that we, uh, we're we actually finding is uh, Thursday's my sort of club day. I get out and about and, and meet and talk with uh, a range of volunteers across the state uh, as part of my work. And, and they're all saying the same thing, that they're struggling to get volunteers. And I think, um, I, I don't know what you guys think, but what we're seeing is COVID has um, given these um, volunteers a bit of their life back. So we're seeing a change of dynamic. People are quite enjoying not going down to the club every Thursday to volunteer their time. So they've had a bit of a chop out. COVID. That's, that's something that came out of COVID that I wasn't expecting. I hope it doesn't, hope it doesn't hold on though because it's it, they are the lifeblood of communities and you do need that support from people within the community. But that's where you come in, Maury. Clubs Tasmania can support clubs to attract those volunteers, engage them in the club? Absolutely. You can reach out with us. We have a pretty strong working relationship with Lisa and the crew at Volunteering Taz. Um, so, again, we would sort of 
develop some joint approaches, but we can certainly help your clubs. And if you're interested out there or you are struggling or you're suffering from sort of that trend that we've seen emerge, reach out to us, 1300 125 827, and we will be happy to have a chat and see how we can help. And talk us through the Minister is coming to your Southern Midlands Forum. Yeah, that's very exciting. So obviously the Minister for Racing, Sport and Recreation, the Honourable Jane Howlett, MLC for Prosser, she is actually a Southern Midlands girl. So... Um, we're uh, next Wednesday, uh, December the 2nd, we are at Campania Recreation Ground. We've deliberately um, chosen to run a community clubs forum for that region. And there's a game of T20 cricket on with Campania Cricket Club. So there'll be quite a little bit of noise generated mm. out there. We've got the cricket club doing a sausage sizzle. I actually drove past that cricket club the other day. Very nice, very nice ground. There you go. Beautiful <laughs> part of the world out of Campania. Yes. I love it out there. Very gets, dry. Gets hot. Does. Yeah, it does. Very hot. lights, I'm sure it'll be fine. I reckon the mozzies and the lights will be there. But yeah, so as I said, the minister uh, grew up in that region and she actually uh, did little athletics on that ground. So that'll be a nice little story. Ever do a uh, little athletics, Smithy? I don't think I did, funnily enough. I, I didn't mind a little bit of running. I was a boundary umpire for footy for a few years, which was sort of my uh, my fitness for cricket when I when I was a bit younger playing. But yeah, in terms of the track stuff, yeah, it wasn't really my forte. What about what about the twins? We're getting what are we getting in them into? Oh god, they'll be good boxing, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> the Against each other, things are going at the moment. So, oh, um, they've got some plastic click, uh, gold clubs that they're uh, they whack around a little bit, but yeah, they've just got to start getting into something soon. I think I might try and steer them down that path. So, yeah, a bit of parental persuasion, they call yeah. that. Dave, you did that with your kids, didn't you? Absolutely, and then they didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and they make their own choice. When did their own thing? Oh well, there's there's still a chance you can push them into one of Maury's clubs that he's got. Anything else you've got to add, Maury? Um, yeah, look, a couple of good news stories. Um, we're going to profile that in our upcoming um, Clubs Telegraph, which goes out the air once a month. But look, a couple of good news stories to see how um, community clubs are adapting and shifting due to COVID. So um, the Motor Yacht Club uh, of Hobart, they um, had to shut down obviously due to COVID and they thought, what could they do? One of their members was quite a well-known artist and mural and painter. And so what they did was that they engaged with that person because they didn't have a job and engaged with some local schools and they've, they've actually redone all of the brick walls down there at the Yacht Club. Um, and it looks fantastic, but it's all been done as a sort of a research project, engaging with the local community and telling the story of sailing. So if you've got a chance to sort of get down to the Royal Yacht Club of Tasmania, they're down there in Sandy Bay, or you can reach out to us and uh, get some details about how they manage that project. That was fantastic to, to sort of see how they'd shifted and adapted and reset during COVID. Excellent. Well, Maury, always great to hear from you. Keep doing the good work you are doing and tell us again where people can find you. Yeah, certainly can. They can just go to uh, www.tha.asn.au. They can reach out to us on our toll-free number, which is 1300 125 827. And as I said, we're happy to take a call and see how we can support your club to thrive and survive post-COVID. And what's your address, Maury, in case they want to knock on the door? <laughs> that's home, home address. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, – oh, bleeped out. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Maury. All right, thanks, team. See you next time. Oh, what an amazing show. Are we all proud of it, of what we've achieved today? Oh, I think that's the, my career highlight. We had everything that's required of the Tony Sportsman's. We had guests who were invited and didn't turn up. We had one of our panel not here a lot of the time, Aldi. And, but we did have some real talent. Of course, uh, we managed to get the Premier on. We had two Great of the chat. key administrators in Tasmania. We certainly so. did. We had Darren Sturgis, the CEO of Tennis Tasmania, but we had the CEO of Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> and the man himself, Peter Gutwin, and what an interesting chat that was. Really interesting chat and great to hear his perspective on his own footballing career. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some some really interesting stuff that came out of his glory days from the north of the state and then, of course, 
all these insights about professional sport in Tasmania, where we're headed with uh, the NBL, uh, the BBL hub, everything in, in between. And uh, coming up next week, as promised, Michael Jordan will be on the show. <laughs> I'm still looking forward to this one. <laughs> Has he got back to you yet? I reckon Ben Brown's more chance than Michael Jordan at this stage, isn't he? We will be back for episode seven of the Tassie Sports Lounge. Thanks for joining us at the Tassie Sport Lounge. Of course, subscribe and share with your friends and get it wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you in two weeks' time. This podcast is a Glitterball Creative Production.